What's up, guys? My name is Sam, and I'm the creator and host of Creme de la Crime podcast. The mission of this show is to bring awareness to unsolved missing persons cases from all across the country. In the United States, 600,000 adults and children are reported missing every single year. Although most are quickly found, there are still tens of thousands that remain missing for more than one year. As of 2022, there are still more than 17,000 unsolved missing persons cases and 13,000 unidentified body cases across the United States that remain open. For the first year, I'm going alphabetical order by state and talking about cases involving all ages, races, and backgrounds. Don't forget to subscribe and join me every single Thursday to hopefully help bring these people home. Hello and welcome back. This is episode 49, True Crime B&B. I'm Bailey. And I'm Beth. I'm the bad guy this week and I'm going first. Mm-hmm. What do you got? This case has been covered a fair amount. Okay. But I don't really remember it from the time that it happened and probably because it happened right about the time I was moving to Georgia. Oh. So I had a lot of stuff going on, a lot of balls in the air. Okay. Most people call this case the kayak killer, but I don't find this case to be particularly conclusive. So I think calling it that is sort of jumping to conclusions that I'm not sure are there. Okay. So I'm going to present what I found on it, and you can decide for yourself. Okay. I haven't heard of it yet, so. Okay. Angelica Grosvald came to the United States from Latvia when she was 20 years old in August of 2000. She only intended to be here for a year working as a nanny, but she ended up liking it and not leaving. Mm -hmm. She moved to Connecticut, where she had won awards for her photography, and she was also supporting herself as a bartender. In September 2013, she met a man named Vince Viafor, who was a New York native and who had been born in August of 1968. They hit it off and they started dating. Within a few weeks of their meeting, they were getting along so well that Angelica was living with Vince in Poughkeepsie, New York. A quick five months later, they had become engaged to be married. Vince was a son, a brother, an uncle. He was known as the life of the party. He was a great cook. Loved to have people over and make cocktails and food for them. Mm -hmm. He made up crazy dances. Everybody laughed around him. He was adventurous. He loved the water. He lived on the edge. He had an impressive career as a project manager in the construction department with New York State. He was trying very hard because Angelica's native tongue was Russian. He was trying very hard to learn the Russian language. Aww. He called Angelica Piggy in Russian, even though she's tiny and petite. So she it was called like an ironic thing. It was an ironic thing. Yeah. She called him hedgehog in Russian as a reference to his spiky hair. <laughs> I know. She took him home to Latvia to meet her family. Her parents and her sister and her friends all loved him. Both Angelica and Vince had been married twice before, but they decided to go for it a third time and they wanted to get married on the beach on the Baltic Sea and then host a Hudson River party cruise back in New York for their friends. Hmm. Angelica had a fascination for the Armory Castle ruins on Bannerman's Island in the Hudson River. It's just this little island with ruins on it. It's mm -hmm. like a, a ruins of a castle. And she said that where she grew up in Europe, there are castle ruins all over the place. Sure, yeah. But in New York, there's something that's uncommon, and so it seemed magical to her. I've never heard of that. I didn't know that there was anything like that in the United States, even. I didn't know that there was a little island in, in the Hudson, Hudson River, River. Yeah. with ruins on it. Hmm. I had never heard that before. Starting in 2012, Angelica had worked on Bannerman's Island, planting and gardening on the island as a volunteer. Because this was one of her favorite places, she wanted to get engagement or wedding photos taken out on Bannerman's Island. Mm -hmm. In early 2015, Angelica was 35 and Vince was 46, and by now they had been together for a year and a half. They shared their love of the outdoors and sometimes went out kayaking where they felt as one with the earth and the water. But not all was idyllic in their world. They argued over her not working since she had moved in with him. She resented his asking her to participate in things that she wasn't comfortable with, but they continued with their plans and lived one day at a time. Mm -hmm. On April 19th, 2015, they decided to go out to Bannerman's Island to visit and take photos. It was sunny, but chilly and breezy, and the water in the Hudson River, which sources from runoff up in the mountains, was very cold, and the wind made it choppy. 
Their car was seen on traffic cameras all the way to the Hudson River where they parked and got ready for their excursion. They set out for Bannerman's Island from Plum Point at about 4.15 p.m., taking their own kayaks, which were meant for relatively still lake water, not the type that's intended for rougher, choppy river water. And this is a whole science, lake kayaks versus river kayaks versus sea kayaks. But some of them have overlapping features and others need to be different based on the type of water that you're kayaking in. Mm -hmm. But later on, experts made a point that they were not in kayaks that were suitable for the purpose they were using them for. They also took the sun at face value. It was a beautiful day on the surface. They didn't check the weather reports. What they didn't know was that a storm was coming sometime in the later afternoon. Mm. Neither of them normally wore life jackets. Well, how deep is Hudson River? I don't know the depth, but I mean, it was deep enough to land a plane on. (laughs) Valid. Okay. So they normally didn't wear life jackets, but because the water was choppier than what they were used to, Vince insisted that Angelica wear the only life jacket that they had. Hmm. They paddled out to the island, they grounded their kayaks, they spent a few hours taking photos, they had a few beers, they went exploring. When they saw that the weather was starting to turn around 7.15 p.m., they decided it was time to head for home. They packed up and started back across the river. It was getting darker, the waves were kicking up, the storm was getting closer, the wind and water made it harder to paddle and make progress back toward Plum Point where they had started from. The waves swamped up over the top of Vince's kayak, filling the cockpit with frigid water, and it capsized, spilling Vince out into the rough water. Mm-hmm. Since Vince had no life jacket, he wasn't wearing a wetsuit, he didn't have a cockpit skirt to keep the water out, so when Vince capsized, he was plunged down into the river, which had frigid water, which was about 48 degrees Fahrenheit at that time of year. And without a life jacket, it's so hard to move in that cold of water. It is. Mm. It's hard to I'm move. I'm just thinking of like Lake Erie during the winter, and I know it's... It's hard to move, and it's also hard to keep your head above water. Mm-hmm. He yelled to Angelica to call 911. The cold water would have quickly affected Vince's ability to help himself, which is what you mm. were just saying. He wouldn't have been able to grasp with his numb hands, and without being able to grab for anything... He had very little chance of staying above water. The strong wind and current pulled Angelica and Vince apart, and his kayak disappeared under the water. And soon, so did Vince. The 911 call that Angelica made came in at about 7.40 p.m. As she spoke with the operator, they had told her that they had a boat in the water and they were headed to Angelica and Vince's location to try to help. Mm -hmm. A few minutes into the call, Angelica said she could see the rescue boat coming towards her, And then she suddenly capsized, too, just as the boat arrived, and they pulled her out of the water. Okay. But Vince was still not visible. They couldn't find any sign of him. They couldn't see him. They couldn't see his kayak. The following day, Vince's kayak was found drifted back to Plum Point, where they had originally started from. But the search for Vince was ineffective and partially had to be suspended due to poor weather conditions. But as the days went on, people started observing that Angelica's behavior seemed odd to them after such a horrific experience. She seemed cold, she seemed unaffected by the whole thing. She posted a video of herself cheering as she completed a cartwheel. And then several days later, she posted another video of herself doing karaoke, singing Hotel California. And they also pointed out another post that she had made, I think it was on Facebook, and I haven't written this down, which is why I'm kind of struggling to remember exactly what it said. But she had posted a photo that Vince had taken of her from behind while she was in a kayak. It was a really striking photo. Mm -hmm. And under the photo, the caption she wrote said something like, if only I could have paddled harder, damn it. Which is a weird thing to post. But it's also English as her second language, so maybe it sounds more blunt than the way she intended for that to come across. Okay, I could see that. And the way I'm kind of like trying to play devil's advocate, because I vaguely remember this. I'm trying to stay in the middle until I hear the rest. Yeah, because there's, there's more. But just to play devil's advocate, it does sound strange. But again, she's from a country where people are known to have gone through hardships. Yeah. It's very well known that people from that general region and Russia and all that. Yeah. Life are a little in, bit more hardened 
in life than Right, and that's going to also come up again, too. So I think that it could look bad, and I probably would be like, maybe don't go so public like that. Yeah. I also get it, because I'm a person who laughs when bad shit happens, too. Yeah, because there are times where it's either you laugh or you cry, but yeah, she just acted strangely, and some of it may have been where she came from versus how people here typically act because mm-hmm. because there is a big difference between growing up in the US northeast and growing up in eastern europe yeah. those are two completely different life experiences so i understand what you're saying oh this is vet is calling me should I just answer of us yeah that's fine oh, awesome. sorry sorry okay 10 days after Vince disappeared into the water, Angelica went back to Bannerman's Island with investigators as they assessed the area and she talked through their day with them and they were just trying to find out what really happened out here. So just rewalking the scene of what happened? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And Angelica wanted to leave some flowers for Vince and pay some sort of a tribute to him. Mm-hmm. So she walked around the places they'd visited, a police detective following close behind her. And the detective claimed that when they were alone, she had made damning oral statements. She allegedly told the detective that she had wanted Vince to drown. She also allegedly said she had removed the drain plug from his kayak and that she had removed the connector ring that held the two halves of his paddle together. And I don't know if you know what that's, what they're talking about yeah, there. Yeah. You've been kayaking enough times. Mm-hmm. So people who don't kayak, the kayak paddle has a paddle on two ends of a pole. So you hold it and one hand, you know, paddles down while the other hand paddles up. Mm -hmm. But they had the type of kayaks that were easy to pack into their car and they could disconnect at the middle of that pole and there was a little plastic ring that would screw on so that they didn't fall apart while you were kayaking. Yeah, just think of like if you're putting pipes together, it's kind of like that kind of Exactly, it's like a fitting. It's Mm -hmm. like a plastic fitting in the middle. Yeah. Some news articles also stated that Angelica pulled Vince's paddle away from him, or she stated that she had pulled his paddle away from him when he was trying to reach out to her, but I couldn't find anywhere that actually said that. Yeah, but that could mean he reached his paddle out to get her to pull him to safety, and then she accidentally pulled too hard, he let go of the paddle because his hands are fucking numb, and then... Yeah, that could be. And she's just not saying it. The way that we want her to. Again, I'm trying to... Yeah. So all we have to validate that she said that is the word of the officer, right? right. So it's not on not body have cam. that on... He wasn't wearing a body cam. It was not caught on tape. Mm-hmm. What the detective said that she had told him when they were walking around on Bannerman's Island. And she had not been Mirandized prior to making these statements, so they weren't usable in court in any case. Okay. So the police asked her, because what the detective said, they asked her to come to the police station, put her in an interview room, and read her her Miranda rights. A camera in that room recorded every word that was said, but she claimed that she tried to help him. She wanted to save him. She denied taking the ring off of his paddle, now that she's in this interview room. Mm -hmm. When the detective left the room, they made a big deal out of the fact that she was doing yoga on the floor of the interrogation room. She was doing hopscotch. But she'd been in this room for hours. And so to me, that behavior seems like she was sick of being in this room. She was getting just Mm -hmm. stir crazy in there. And she was probably trying to stretch out her muscles because she was probably cramped from sitting in that chair. Overall, this interview lasted, I don't know if it was 11 or 12 hours, but it was one of those two. It was 11 or 12 hours sitting in that chair. So you know what? You sit me in a chair for 12 hours, and I'm also going to do yoga when you leave the room. I might do yoga when you're in the room, because I can't sit that long. Plus, somebody, it really was all just an accident. She's just been traumatized. Now leave her in a room with nothing to entertain her but her own thoughts? I would lose my mind. I'm not going to lie. It's one thing, if you can distract yourself, get on the internet, watch TV, whatever, but you're left in that room just, like, with nothing but that on your mind. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that's fair to judge her for once again, but... We'll keep going. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Because there's still more things to to learn here. Eventually, it came out in the interview that six months earlier, Vince had added her to a life insurance policy that was worth $250,000. There was a second life insurance policy that would make a total payout of close to half a million dollars in the event of his death. Angelica also said that he had made too many demands on her sexually. 
He was threatening to break off the engagement if she didn't give in to participating in a sexual lifestyle that she didn't enjoy. Nightlife, porn, strip clubs, threesomes. He wanted all these things and she wanted no part of any of them. Okay. Later, she said his death made her feel like her worries had gone away and that she was free. She felt somewhat euphoric that he was going to be gone now and she wouldn't have to do those things anymore because she was involved with this man. She loved this man. But here he's dragging her to strip clubs and making her get lap dances or whatever. And she's like, I really am not sorry that I don't have to do those things anymore, you know? I mean, yeah, but she probably could have just broken up with him. But then again, if she's financially relying on him, she probably didn't see that as an option at the moment. So I'm kind of still trying to play devil's advocate. I know, I know. But she also admitted that she had capsized her own kayak as the rescue boat approached so that they would think that she had fallen out trying to get Vince out of the water. So that was a little play acting on her part. Hmm. She talked about how her good side and her demon side had been fighting inside her as to whether or not to save him. And when the detective pressed her to come clean and tell him the truth about the story, she just kind of snapped. And she said, all right, I'll give you the fucking statement. I wanted him dead and now he's gone and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with that. Well, it sounds damning and cold, but it's not exactly a confession of wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. It's it, not, I'm just clarifying that this is what you're trying, you're saying, like, it's not a crime to be not upset somebody died. Right, exactly. Her statement that she actually made that they used to slam her with, mm-hmm. it's not exactly saying, I killed him. She's just saying, I'm not sorry he's gone. Yeah, it's not putting any guilt, I mean, it doesn't put her in a nice light, but it's not illegal what she said. Exactly. In May, 34 days after his disappearance, Vince's body finally surfaced in the Hudson River south of Bannerman's Island. Angelica's arrest took place when it was revealed that her diary contained some incriminating comments about the relationship and that she wanted him dead because she couldn't stand how he loved threesomes. Taken out of context, that could have just been a private expression of her frustration after an argument on that subject. Like you said, if she's writing in her diary in English, of course she'd been here for a long time by this point. So maybe that's not even a good argument. Yeah. But regardless, if you've ever had a heated argument with someone, Mm -hmm. you've probably said something that you later would cringe about having said. And I think this might have been one of those things. Well, I'm just saying, if any of the guys I had dated had died and then police went through all of my text exchange with my friends and you and, like, everybody else I talked to, they could find pretty good, well, she wanted him dead at this point. Pretty much every guy I've ever dated, I've said, like, I'm going to strangle him if he doesn't stop. Yes. You know, well, how long before... the incident did she write that i don't have any idea okay i'm just wondering if that was like two years ago <laughs> well a year and a half or whatever oh or... i i don't know okay well keep keep going but by the time that vince's remains had actually been recovered angelica had already been indicted for second degree murder and second degree manslaughter she pled not guilty to both charges okay Vince's family and friends arranged a memorial for Vince on June 27, 2015, where they placed paper lanterns in the water of the Hudson River, and it looked like it would have been a really beautiful and moving gesture of love to him at the location where he had been lost. Yeah. But Angelica was in jail, and she did not attend, and probably wouldn't have been welcomed by the family, because they believed that she was guilty. They believed that she had intentionally murdered him Mm -hmm. she was in the news continuously she claimed she was innocent she claimed that her statement saying she wanted vince dead was just the result of exhaustion from being in that room being interrogated for such a long time she clarified that when she said she wanted to be free she meant she wanted to be free of the alternative sexual lifestyle that vince wanted her to be part of with him she said that she had reached her breaking point after many hours of questioning and just told the detectives what she knew they wanted to hear Mm Angelica also explained that in her native country, and you touched on this earlier, it's not normal to show your emotions publicly, and that one is expected to put forth a strong face to the world no matter what they're going through. Mm -hmm. She claimed that her videos of doing normal, fun things after his death were her putting on a happy face in public. She said she misses him, she still loves him, and it still feels unreal that he's gone. She claimed that she couldn't believe she was suspected of killing him. 
Todd Wright, a kayaking safety expert, indicated that Angelica's story was fairly plausible and that the missing drain plug was unlikely to have caused the kayak to fill with water. Do you know what a drain plug is in a kayak? Well, yeah, it's kind of like the little at the bottom. It's actually on the top and it's oh. at the point. Okay, on, so at like the... On the bow, on the very point of the bow, mm-hmm. there's a little drain plug. When you get out, you turn the kayak oh. on end or upside down, mm-hmm. but... Otherwise, it'd be really hard to get all the water out of it. So the plug at the end on the top of the kayak is designed to allow the water to drain out, but it's not a large enough opening to allow significant water to leak in, even without the plug, Mm -hmm. and even if the waves were splashing over the bow. Also, he said it's unlikely that removing the ring from the paddles would have made it impossible for Vince to continue paddling. Had the paddles separated, he could have just fit them back together. Like you said, it's just two pipes. One goes inside the other, and then there's a little locking nut. Mm -hmm. That said, Vince was not wearing a life jacket. He should have worn a wetsuit because the water temperature was so low. They both should have. And he had the wrong type of kayak for the river. And neither Vince nor Angelica were trained in water rescue. So if something went wrong, neither one of them was prepared, really, to save the other one. Mm -hmm. Angelica's family back in Latvia did whatever they could to raise money for her defense. They couldn't travel to the U.S. to visit her, so they sent messages via friends and the media. Her family planted a tree in Latvia in honor of Vince and sent their condolences to Vince's mother. But in July 2017... Angelica pled guilty to criminally negligent homicide in which her admission was that she should have perceived the risks of being out on the river the day that Vince drowned. Okay. The following November, she was sentenced to one and a half to four years in prison as well as a $5,000 fine. Because she had already been in custody since her arrest in 2015, those two and a half years counted as time served and she was released in December 2017. Vince's mother was disappointed, kind of disgusted, with the sentence and her release, saying, It's Rob, four years for taking someone's life? No way. My son was a good man and everybody loved him. I think any mother would be distressed in this situation, mm-hmm. so I can't fault her for how she feels. But on the other hand, I don't think it was ever proven that Angelica actually tried or wanted to kill Vince. I think she was unhappy with his sexual lifestyle preferences, Mm -hmm. but she seemed to love him otherwise. Angelica remained on parole for another 16 months, all the while facing possible deportation to Latvia. While she was not deported, she has since moved back to Latvia and attends a university there. Okay. I think they took unnecessary risks that day. Mm -hmm. which was both of their responsibilities. And in the end, it seems very possible this was just a tragic accident. Yeah. They should not have been on the water on that day with a storm coming. They should have seen the choppiness of the water. Should have both had life vests on. But even if she did remove the drain plug, it doesn't sound as if that's really a main factor that caused his death. Other than if the drain plug had still been in the hole, the kayak may have retained more air. Mm -hmm. It may not have submerged as quickly. Had the water been warmer or had Vince had on a wetsuit, he might not have lost his gross motor abilities Mm -hmm. and might have been able to get his kayak righted or at least hold on to it more effectively. And if he had been wearing a life vest, he would have still gotten hypothermia, but he would have unlikely drowned. Yeah, and even if she had just taken the plug out to be malicious, there's no way... She could have guessed all of those other conditions would be perfectly right for that to capsize his kayak. Yeah. I I don't even know why the drain plug is really an issue. If you have a kayak and you lose your drain plug, you're not going to throw your whole kayak away. Yeah. Because it's not like it's on the bottom. It's Mm -hmm. not like you open that and then water shoots up through it like a whale's spout. (laughs) It's a blowhole again. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the drain plug is kind of an irrelevant issue. Well, it's overplayed where people who don't understand, like me, what it actually is. It sounds like, oh yeah, she poked a hole in the boat and caused him to sink. But when you actually describe it the way you did... Well, I've done a fair amount of kayaking. Yeah. And I have no idea whether the kayaks I was in actually had their drain plugs in or not. Yeah, it's never become a problem to me at all. It's never been an issue. Mm -hmm. And... There was a video of a guy dumping buckets of water over the same kind of kayak that Vince was in mm-hmm. and without the drain plug in it, and almost no water was going into that hole. You would have to submerge the entire front end, mm-hmm. not just moving water over the top of it, but actually submerge it 
before it would actually start to take on significant water through the, yeah. the drain hole. Well, it seems more likely to me is that he somehow got knocked out of the kayak. Now he's desperately trying to hold on to the side or the front of it, maybe drags it under with him. There's maybe. no plug-in. Now it's taking on water faster and he's slowly sinking with it. Yeah. That seems like totally plausible. But the fact that she would somehow plan that to have happened is just... Yeah. really far-fetched to me yeah and even if she did plan it to happen you just said the plug probably caused it to sink faster mm-hmm. but didn't cause the whole accident right the whole thing wasn't caused by a missing drain plug and right. she never even necessarily said it was malicious to take it out i don't know why she would have taken it out mm-hmm. but regardless yeah. If he had done any one of these other things, he had a lot better chance. If he had on a life vest, he'd still be alive. Mm-hmm. So just that one thing. They should have been prepared by wearing life vests, which is what anybody who's kayaking on the Hudson River ought to be doing anyway. Well, especially kayak. Even when you go out on like a motorboat. I always used to wear life vests because all it takes is one simple, whoop, we hit a bump, like, and you're well, in the and water. Well, it's not that you don't know how to swim. It's that if you fall out and hit your head mm-hmm. and you're unconscious, a life vest is going to save your life. True. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. a wrongful death lawsuit by the Viafor family against Angelica in regards to a total insurance payout of $491,000 was settled in 2018 with the settlement terms being held confidential. So apparently she was still eligible to receive the insurance payouts because she was considered negligent but not intentionally murderous. Well, that seems fair to me. But his family filed the lawsuit because in civil court, a person can be held responsible for things that they were not convicted of in criminal court. Mm -hmm. So we don't know what the settlement was, but somehow there was a settlement between the family and Angelica. Okay. So what do you think about the case? Do you think she should have spent two and a half years in prison? Was she responsible enough for his death? Because I feel like he was just as responsible for his death as she was. You know, I was kind of thinking that too. I didn't want to say it too bluntly just to blame him or anything. But at some point, you do have to take some responsibility for your own safety. You know what I mean? You have to, okay, I went out onto the water. I went out without a wetsuit. I went out without two life vests for one for each of us. And at that point, that's not her fault that you gave her the one life vest. It's not her fault that the water was cold. It's not her fault that, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think she deserved prison time. I mean, even if she had said to him, honey, it's going to be colder tonight. Mm-hmm. The weather is going to get windier. It's going to get choppier. Does that convince him not to go? Men are so stubborn. Do you know how many times I've had to lend my coat because I thought to bring one in winter, but the men are always like, I'm always so hot. I'll be fine. And then they're shivering in their little short sleeve shirts. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And so, yeah, even if she had said it, who says she didn't? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm torn about it. I think that the punishment that she received was probably as close to correct as they could have gotten. Yeah. I mean, I do agree. The negligence was there on both of their parts. Yeah. And I'm not blaming Vince as blaming the victim. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he deserved to have it happen. I'm just saying he could have done things that would have prevented this from becoming the tragedy that it became. Exactly. It's not blaming him, but it's if we're going to blame people, she's no more guilty than he is. And we wouldn't put him in jail because he died. You know what I mean? That doesn't make sense that an accident happened. Yeah. And if she had drowned... He probably would have gone through the Across same. the coals. Except that he didn't have in his diary that he, you know, that he wished that she was dead. And he probably didn't take out the drain plug from her kayak. Didn't remove the connecting ring on his paddles. So she did some things to hurt herself as well. She did some things that made her look guilty whether she was actually guilty or not. Mm-hmm. I can see why people thought It doesn't she... look great. It really doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. I think it probably ended up being as close as it could have been. Considering they didn't have any actual evidence that she had done anything to him. Yeah, I mean, if somebody had a video of her hitting him on the head with the paddle. Or holding him underneath with her own paddle or something. Yeah, then that would be a different story altogether, but I don't think that she intentionally pushed him under the water. Yeah. All right, I think that's the end of Angelica Crosswald. I've 
very vaguely remember that when it happened, but I totally, all I ever saw were the really scandalous articles, headlines on like Daily Mail, and it was like, model girlfriend drowns older husband by blah 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 blah. Sensational stuff, so. It's nice to hear an outcome for it. Seems like everybody got their happy medium of justice. Uh, well, Maybe I think not. that probably Vince wasn't very happy with his. No, probably not. What do you have for me? Well, I have a goodie story for you today. A goodie story? It's a goodie. Okay. I don't know if I believe you yet. You usually put me through hell before we get to the good. It's a roughie, but a goodie. <laughs> okay. Okay. In 1997, Mike and Susan Gonzalez lived in the rural outskirts of Jacksonville, Florida, on their 10 acres of land. It was kind of out in the middle of the forest, and they had a little house right there in the middle of it. They were both in their early 40s and almost empty nesters at this point. They had five children total, and their youngest still lived with them. His name was Mike Jr., and he was 18 years old at this point. On August 1st, 1997, which was a Friday evening, Mike Jr. was over at a friend's house. He was just playing video games for a Friday night, hangout, whatever, while his parents stayed in and enjoyed their evening together. At 10.30 p.m., Mike Sr. decided to head to bed because he had to work first thing Saturday morning. Meanwhile, Susan decided to stay up for a little bit longer and watch TV because she knew that her son had planned to come home later that evening and she just wanted to make sure he got in safe and then locked the door behind him when he got home. So finally, at 11.15, she's getting tired, so she sent a message to his pager asking him to please be home by midnight so she could go to bed. And he eventually got back to her, and they kind of talked for a little bit on the house phone, and they agreed on a compromise saying, okay, if you're home by 1 a.m., then that's fine. And he said, okay, I'll be home by 1 a.m., and they hung up the phone. All right. So Susan continued to stay up and wait for him, and she was just watching TV in the living room. A little while later... Susan is sitting on the couch, which is facing the wall where the TV is, and right behind her is where the front door is. So she hears the rattle of the doorknob turning, and she said it sounded like it was dark outside. He was trying to unlock the door, but missing it. You know how it is sometimes. Yeah. And so she looked at the clock, and it's 12.40 a.m., and she said, oh, that's definitely my son. He probably just got in a little bit earlier than he thought he would. So she got up from the couch and went over to the door to open it up and let her son in. However, as she, like, went to reach for the knob to unlock it, she kind of something in the back of her head was like wait a second if that's my son Mike I never heard his car every time when he gets home he clicks the lock button and it makes a little beep beep and then that's how she knows he's home and he comes up and unlocks the door right so if you live with somebody for a long time you know what it sounds like when they get home yes so this felt wrong to her and she's like I never heard the beep beep I don't know if that's Mike So she goes and starts to try to look in the peephole to make sure. And as she did, two men just kicked it only one time, just with like steel-toed boots, it seems like, kicked it on this hinge side of the door and busted through them. And it just collapsed into her living room right in front of her. Did it fall on her and smash her head? No, she stepped back as she heard the sound of it coming through. But now she's standing in her living room at 1240 a.m. with... Two random men who are wearing camo, masks, and gloves, so she knows they're not there for something good. Hopefully Mike Sr. at least heard this and will wake up. Not yet. (laughs) Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Men can sleep through anything. Yeah. I'm kind of going to tell you about the men that are breaking in just to identify who's doing what in the following situation. yeah. So there were a total of three men unknown to Susan and Mike. All three were career criminals and had been doing this for a while. One of them, named Louis Wright, was the lookout slash getaway driver, so he was still waiting out front in his car this entire time. That's probably the last we'll hear about Louis, honestly. So he was there. He was about 26. Then the two men that were now in her living room were 22-year-old Robert Walls and also 22-years-old Raymond Waters. Okay. Walls and Waters. Walls and Waters. Now that her front door was no longer a barrier between them, she immediately panicked and just bolted back towards the hallway to get to her bedroom and wake up her husband. Once she got to the bedroom, she barricaded the door with her own body. It sounds like she didn't even have a lock on the bedroom door, so she just had to hold it herself while her husband kind of woke up and was like, what's going on? What's going on? She had one of those little locks that I bought for the hotel room doors. Oh, they do now. They do now, trust me. But yeah, so she was barricading the door with her own body and then Mike jumped up from the bed and started helping her. He's like, what's going on? I don't know what's happening, but my wife's screaming to help her, so okay. Yeah, at that point you just shut up and help. Mm Mm-hmm. So the door started giving away because they once again had those boots on and kicked through it all the way. And this was, I forgot to mention, the doors weren't really that sturdy 
security because this was a mobile home. Okay. It's a pretty big mobile home, but it was not the best material. Now the bedroom door is falling down, and they it hit Susan so hard it actually broke multiple ribs. Oh, my God. So they broke through the door. It's hit Susan. Her ribs are broken now. And then they realize that the two men are both armed with guns, and they just start open firing at both of them. Oh, my God. And each of them, Susan and Mike, were hit once at this point with a bullet. Oh, my God. I don't know where Mike was hit, but Susan was hit in the upper right shoulder. Okay. And so it's not like, it's bleeding a lot, but it's not really any vital organs yet. So she's kind of okay. Yeah, but oh my god. So they've just busted in only to shoot them? Because rather than just steal things while they're in the bedroom. I'll kind of explain why they're so aggressive right from the get-go later on. Okay. But imagine they're confused and they're like, stop, what? <laughs> like, Yeah, why are you doing this? Yeah. Just go take our stuff and leave. Now they've both been shot once. Mike now stepped up and he's woken up quite a bit at this point, And he grabbed a hold of both men at once. Mike was kind of shorter than both of these guys, but he was really strong. He had been doing hard work his entire life. So he got a hold of both of them and was able to force them back down the hallway, back into the living room where the front door was. Yeah. And while he did that, Susan went ahead, picked up the house phone, called 911 from the bedroom. While she's calling 911, she looked out into the living room and saw that they were now both taking turns beating Mike over the top of his head with the back of their guns oh, and their God. fists and from both angles. I mean, he has two men right in front of him doing that's, this. That's a good way to get a traumatic brain injury. Can you imagine just feeling helpless watching that happen to your husband? I can't. I cannot imagine. She's on the phone watching this all go down. And then once she was assured that help was on the way and they definitely had her address, she just dropped the phone, ran, and she knew that Mike had a gun that he kept in the bedroom, grabbed that, loaded it, took off the safety, and ran out to help him. However, Susan, who had never used a gun before, she was kind of like me where I know the basics, like take off the safety, cock it, and then shoot. And that's kind of where her general knowledge was. She didn't really know what to do. So she just runs up to them and takes took off the safety. And she didn't want to shoot them. Not necessarily because she was scared to hurt them, but because her husband is standing right in front of both of these men while they're beating on him. And she doesn't know how good she's going to be at aiming. Right. So she realizes, I'm going to accidentally hurt Mike more if I try to shoot now. And so what she does is she fires two warning shots into the ceiling just to let him know, I am armed, I have a gun, so get the fuck out of here. And unfortunately, that didn't scare the intruders off at all. Thinking on her feet after the first two warning shots, she fired another warning shot and started screaming at them. And Raymond Waters started to turn towards her and then started to kind of walk at her. And she, instead of shooting him right away, realized, okay, what I need to do is give him a false sense of security and run back to the bedroom. And once he chases after me, he'll be far enough away from my husband that I can finally get a good shot in. At least injure him and get him down enough. Well, can't she just move so that she's on a different angle? So that he's not directly between her and her husband? I think it was such a small living room that it was like anywhere they were in that room. She fired that shot. He turned towards her, Raymond Waters, and he started to chase her back to the bedroom. And she went ahead and kind of hid in behind the door what used to be the door in her bedroom yeah and then when she realized he wasn't coming anymore she's like okay he should be here by now if he's still chasing me she kind of peeked around the corner down the hallway into the living room where she just was and she said he was hiding from her behind the wall in the living room but his foot was sticking out and the, the gun Oh my god. So he was like hiding behind the wall right before the hallway, but he was very visible and he didn't realize that. He's like a little kid who is hiding behind a two inch wide tree. Yeah, and you think, I can't see you, so you can't see me. That's how it works. Wow. So she looked at him and she was like, fucking idiot. (laughs) And so she realizes at this moment, he's waiting for her to go back down the hallway and pass him so that he can attack her again. But little did he know that she knew the layout of this house way better than him. And there was actually, right before you got to him in that hallway, there was another door, and that went into the dining room, and then that led back out into the living room. Okay. So she basically went out at a right angle and then came back out the same room, but when she came out into the living room, she was behind the guy who still crouched down, facing away from her, trying to wait for her in the hallway. Yeah. So she literally, like, reverse cat and mouse this guy and trapped him in her house. So she walks up to him. He still has no idea she's there, and she shoots him two times at this point. Okay. And he's down. That's it. 
I should hope so. After two gunshots. Yeah. And both of them pierced his lungs. Both lungs got pierced. Wow. He was not fighting anymore after that. He's out of lungs. <laughs> now that Waters was down, she turned her attention back to her husband, who is still fighting Robert Walls. I can't imagine how exhausted he must be. He's already got his head beaten in, and he's got a bullet in his... Somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> and he's been fighting this guy for, like, 20 minutes now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And meanwhile, Susan's, like, the badass over here just going over, picking people off one by one, and she's also got shot in the chest. So, at this point, as she turns her attention back to the scuffle with her husband and Robert Walls, she sees Robert pull out another gun that he had in his waistband, and he held it up to Mike's side and just shot right away, just point blank, into his abdomen. Wow. And at this point, Mike collapsed because it hit some vital organs at this point, and he fell to the floor. And so, Susan aimed and pulled the trigger at Robert Walls to try to get him now. Now she's out of bullets. And she ran out of ammunition. So with no other choice, she turned around and retreated back to their bedroom. And as she ran down that long hallway again, Robert Walls shot off an additional nine shots in her direction, one of them hitting her again in the chest. So what had happened to his first gun? You said he pulled out a second gun. What happened to the first one? It sounds like he used up all the magazine Okay. In the shoot-off between them, and then he had another gun. Okay. Because when they got to the scene, I've only told you probably like 13 shots. There were a total of 47 bullet holes in the walls of this wow. house. Holy crap. And only like three of them were from Susan, so. Yeah. Yeah. So now she's back in the bedroom, shot twice, and she suddenly realized, wait, the house is silent. So that means these two guys must have gotten the hell out of here once I disappeared from them. So she decided to go ahead, call 911 again, see what she should do. And are they here? Are they on their way? Is somebody going to be here soon, please? We're both please, shot really Please bad. get here before my son gets home. Exactly. Yeah. They never mentioned. I think he must have just stayed and slept the night at his friend's house or something. Well, if he got anywhere close to the house, I'm mm-hmm. sure he could hear stuff <clears throat> going on in there. Yeah. So she's on the phone, 911, the second time. And unfortunately, even though both the men had run out from the front of the house and escaped, they had realized shortly after getting back in the front yard that their driver, Louie, had taken off the second he heard any gunshots at all. So he was long gone, had left their ass out there in the middle of this 10-acre property wow. by themselves. Good job, Louie. Mm-hmm. So now... Raymond Waters, who's the guy who got shot twice in the lungs, he had crawled out and just laid down in the front yard waiting for Robert Walls to figure out how to get them out of there. And Robert returned back into the house to confront the couple and try to get keys to their truck that was out front. Oh, I thought he was going to come in and say, hey, can I use your phone? (laughs) Yeah, I need to call a ride if that's cool. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so he returned into the house and he asked Mike, still at the front door, where are your keys? I'll let you live if you give me your keys. And so Mike explained to him, they're in my bedroom on top of the gun safe in my wife's purse or something like that. And he says, okay. So he goes back to the bedroom. And even though this whole exchange really relieved Susan because she thought her husband was dead. He had collapsed and was not moving and shot right there point blank in the abdomen. She thought it was over. So she was like, good, he's alive. Yeah. However, now that guy's head back to me in the bedroom. She tried to hide because it was still dark from when he had been asleep in the bed. But the guy got back there, turned on the light, and her hiding place was exposed to him. And he came up with a shotgun and started holding it up to her. And she said, you've already got me and you can have the keys. They're right here. And she grabbed them from behind her, gave him the keys, and he took them out of her hand and ran off. However, one thing she noticed during that exchange, like I said, he took off with the car. He's gone. But that friend that he had come here trying to kill these people and rob them with that was laying in the front yard, bleeding out from his injuries. Water. Yes. Waters. The guy that took the car didn't see him and accidentally ran him over on the way out. Holy crap. Talk about add insult to injury. And we don't know if he was still alive at that point. He died at the end of all of this. Or poetic justice. Yeah. So he took out his own dude. Or maybe he did it on purpose. And he's like, well, that's one less person that I have to worry about that's testifying true. against well, me. Or maybe put him out of his misery or something. I don't really uh-huh. know. but Yeah, because he sounds <clears throat> like kind of guy who's real merciful. Really empathetic. Yeah. <laughs> but another thing that she noticed after he had taken off, 
she kind of like sobered up for a second and was like, oh my gosh, I just realized when he came back in here and asked for the keys, he had taken his mask off once he got out of the house and now I have his face. And so she went ahead and relayed all that information to the police. They of course got there a couple minutes later, gave them immediate medical care and stuff. And they got a composite sketch made of the intruder that was still on the run, the one, only one that they knew about other than the dead guy that's in the front yard. Mm-hmm. And put that out as a bolo. Susan, actually, even though she was the one hopped up on adrenaline running through here saving the day for everybody and had even performed emergency medical care on Mike while they waited for the ambulance to get there, they discovered she was actually the most critically injured and her lung had collapsed and she needed immediate surgery on that. Yeah. They got taken to the hospital and Susan got the surgery. Mike was actually hospitalized and treated to watch for his brain swelling and stuff. Right. But he ended up only having to stay at the hospital for three days and then he got to go home. So Mike was actually only in the hospital for three days and then he got to go home. In the meantime, police found their abandoned truck off on the side of the road somewhere only about an hour after they took them to the hospital. However, the three men who had perpetrated this crime were extremely experienced in doing this. All had just recently served jail time and had perfected how to not leave any traces of DNA. They had all of the steps down, even the shell casings that they left at the scene. They had worn gloves when loading up the guns so that there was no evidence at all of who had okay. done it. But Well, this was kind of a clusterfuck considering sure how was. experienced and how yeah. crime positive these three guys were supposed to be. Well, they were, and it's just they later found out these three guys, along with other friends of theirs, were responsible and wanted in the area for around 70 home invasions and robberies. Wow. In, like, the neighboring counties and stuff. And nobody had gotten a view of their face. So they had come in, and what their MO was, they would wait until only the women of the house were home, and they didn't see any signs of the men. They would go in, brutally just beat the shit out of the kids and the moms, and then tell them, you don't report this, or else I'm going to come back and kill you next time. And then they would leave, and... They would have no evidence what they're going to do. They would report it and then (laughs) it would still be like, sorry, we don't know what to tell you. Wow. That's terrifying. I can't imagine the terror of having someone burst into your front door. At 1240 in the morning and the timing of that, that she thought her son was supposed to be. If if you think about it, though, it's a good thing her son was, mom, I want to stay out till one tonight or else she would have gone to bed. Yeah. Over an hour ago. Yeah. So. And if they had gotten in the bedroom with both of them in bed, they might have just shot them both in the bed and killed them. Oh, yeah. They'd have no chance. So, yeah. So they at least got the composite sketch of this guy, and they knew that he was a friend of the guy, Walls. Was it Walls or Waters? Walls is alive. Waters yeah, is Waters dead. Waters is dead. So they knew what he looked like, like a general description, and then also that he was a friend of Waters. And so that kind of narrowed down and they slowly figured out who this person was. And then after that, they ended up getting a lineup of different people. Like I said, these guys had all been to prison previously. So they had a picture of him already from previous arrests. And they got a lineup and easily Mike and Susan both pointed him out immediately. It didn't hurt that he had bright red hair and was very distinguishable. It was Ronald McDonald. He was Ronald McDonald in so Jacksonville. So Mike also saw him when he came in without his mask. Yeah, he took off. It sounds like he went outside to get in the getaway car, had the mask that was like kind of over his eyes a little bit so he couldn't see. So he's thinking, oh, maybe he's just around the corner and took off the mask and was like, where did Louie go? And then he went back inside, demanded the keys, and that's yeah when they both got a description. Okay. I just didn't know if Mike had been no he was he was awake this whole time he just was was awake but i thought he when you said he was just laying there silently i thought he was pretending to be dead so the guy would leave him alone oh that's true maybe his eyes were closed or whatever and just like yeah so i didn't know susan and mike by about three weeks later they were both back at home and of course geared up and got a bunch of different safety measures put into the house because that guy was still in the run. They still hadn't found Walls yet. Mm-hmm. However, 12 weeks after the break-in, Walls was caught when he finally went to the hospital to get his shoulder, which apparently during the attack, Mike had dislocated, and he had put it back in himself after the effect. Yikes. But then it kept dislocating and dislocating. And so I think he like damaged some of the cartilage in his shoulder. So finally, 12 weeks after the break-in, he finally felt safe enough to go to a hospital and thought enough time had passed. And unfortunately for him, the nurse that fixed him up 
saw him and had seen the news report of his face and she immediately called them. They arrested him. All was good. Hooray. Good job, nurse. And then, of course, he turned in Louie. <laughs> the getaway driver, even though he really wasn't even there for that much. <laughs> so he eventually, Robert Walls, received five life sentences for this attack with no possibility of parole. So he's still in prison. Sure. And the driver, Louie Wright, got slapped with five years for his part in the armed robbery. And unfortunately, like I said, I don't really have a ton of follow-up information on Mike and Susan after this. Like, there's... What year did this happen? 1997. Okay. So they were, like, the basic right-after-it-happened articles, and then after that, they kind of fell off the map. And I know that Susan recently passed, but that was an illness. It wasn't, like, anything... Right. ...related. Well, they did a good job defending their own homestead, you know? Considering that they were both pretty critically injured, the fact that they ran these guys off. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Susan had literally never fired a gun before. In, in the interviews I read from her at the beginning, she's like, I'm just a housewife. I'm very meek. I'm, I'm a mother. And that's what I do. And she was like, I read the whole story and then I read it up about her as a person. And I was thinking, oh, she must also work in a factory. She seems like a badass. You know, she's in here pulling games and tricks out on these guys. But then... It, Turns out she's a toddler photographer. She had a photography studio. And I was like, then again, you would have to be a badass to sit there and try to cooperate with toddlers all day, every day, and get a cute picture out of it. Because, (laughs) But yeah, she was like, if you had told me before this attack ever happened that I would be the one, like, going all Rambo on these guys, I would have never believed you. But she's very adamant, you can do it, trust me, even the most meek people in life or death when the person you love is on the floor hurt, you can do it. I can't think of the woman's name, but there was a story that I did that was a survivor and she had been carjacked. The guy lied to her to get her to drive him somewhere, and then she beat him up with her Yeti cup. Mm -hmm. It was Tiffany something, I think. Tiffany Coward, that's right, (laughs) Tiffany Coward, and she said... Look, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You just don't quit fighting. You mm-hmm. keep going until they go away or they stop. Yep. And it sounds to me like Susan had the same attitude. And you don't have to know it's in you, but mm-hmm. if you have a will to survive, you will fight. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say about her son, where I don't think he got home at any point, I really do think he just fell asleep at his friend's house and forgot to tell them. Oh, wow. Because otherwise, he would have driven home, pulled up to the driveway, his parents are gone, there's blood all over the house, there's a man who's been shot and run over in the front yard. Oh, my God. If I came home to that, I'd be like, Mom, what did you do? But they just never mentioned him again, so I, I don't think he... Yeah, and then the next day she's like, Okay, little Mike, you're grounded because you were not home by 1... <laughs> yeah. You were not home by 1 a.m. <laughs> I'm sure she was really happy he didn't come home in the middle of that too, though. Yeah, for sure. It's hard enough to protect you and your husband, but now your son who has no idea what's going on. Well, we've talked about a few different home invasion stories, and... Mm-hmm. I would think that from a parent's standpoint, the only thing you would want is that your children wouldn't be home when that's going on. Mm -hmm. Because if you're trying to protect yourself and your spouse, Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, if if I die, my kid will still have his dad. Yeah. If he dies, the kid will still have the mom. But if the kid dies, the parents are going to be just devastated for the rest of their lives. Well, yeah, they didn't even have a chance. And one thing I will say, they actually, Susan and Mike, after the fact, they got a shit ton. Like I told you, these guys had done this at least 70 times that were reported. 70 times is... 70 times. To cause that kind of panic and you know that those, every single person who experienced that had nightmares about it and probably has PTSD. We'll and never go to sleep the same way ever again. No, that is so much terrifying. That's one of the most terrifying things I think that most people can imagine. Mm-hmm. Having someone break into your home, burst the door down yeah. in the middle of the night and just come flying into your house. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Well, what I was going to say, they had done this over 70 times. A lot of those victims came forward after Robert got arrested and wrote emails and letters and all that to both of them saying thank you so much for getting these guys off the street and one that stuck out to me was this guy who he worked overnight shift at a factory so he took off for work went in and his eight nine-year-old daughter and his wife were home alone overnight 
These guys had broken in, beaten the shit out of both his wife and his daughter. and oh But they had done this and left no evidence. So they didn't know who did it, but it fit all the M.O.s of all these other strings of robberies and break-ins and brutal beatings happening around the area. And so he felt just helpless for years after they did that. And finally he's like, you got him. I know that's him. I know for a fact that's him. Because it just, it fit everything that happened to you. So I just think... We didn't really have a lot of good things to end on what happened to Mike and Susan after, but they, did, they made a pretty big difference in Jacksonville, Florida in the 90s. Absolutely, so. because to get those assholes off the street... Mm-hmm. And they were only 22 years old. Imagine, imagine. Imagine how many more years of mm. that kind of terror they would have inflicted upon people. God forbid if they had traveled from city to city after they left Jacksonville, they could keep doing that for years and just get better and better at it, you know? Wow. Well, I'm really, really happy that Susan and Mike came out of that okay and that Mm -hmm. Susan kicked their asses. Yep. I mean, to the greatest extent possible. You know, she got hurt too, but she, if it hadn't been for Susan, that never would have ended the way it did. And her quick thinking to go and grab a gun even though she's never fired one before. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. Sorry, guys, for all of the snoring that you've been listening to. It was either that or fight her off every time she started meowing, but now she's laying about five feet away from us, snoring her head off, and you've probably been hearing it. And also we're afraid of her. So... Don't forget to enter our drawing, which will be held on the 28th, which is a Wednesday. We were going to do the drawing at noon mm-hmm. on Wednesday, December, December 28th, mm-hmm. and then we will announce the winner in our episode 50 on December 30th. We said it at the beginning, but just in case we skipped that, <laughs> if you want to put your name in the running, go ahead and email us at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com, or if you want to reach out to us on Instagram. Instagram. We also have the details about it on there. Yeah. So just at True Crime BNB. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, except that we're less active there. We're mostly active on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Because that's where all the cool kids are. Yeah. All of our friends are on Instagram. Yeah, but you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I think you post every week when we have a new. I post on them almost as often, but I just don't like Facebook and Twitter very much. Yeah, it's less easy to use the format of it. Yeah, and the only good thing is you can do links there, mm-hmm. but you can do links in our stories on Instagram too. So, so anyway, mm-hmm. thank you for joining us today for episode 49. And, and I think we're out. Yep, we'll talk to you guys in your ear holes next week. <laughs> and we will see you next week. For week 50. For week 50. Woo-hoo. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
That's not how you say that. We're <laughs> <laughs> such a fucking shit show. How'd this happen? Okay. <laughs> I'm surprised as you are. Who wrote this anyway? <laughs> Puss. <laughs> I'm translating it from Catlish right now. Turned on the light and she was exposed to him. <laughs> You're saying she was exposed to him and the cat's like, <gasps> <coughs> the snoring is very is distracting. Too much. So I'm sorry, I cut you off. You were talking about him being in the hospital. So. <laughs> Sky Kitty, please hear us. <laughs> Don't kill her. Just make her sleep quietly. <laughs> in your ear holes next week. <laughs> said ear holes and it tickled your nose holes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now she stopped snoring. Little jerk. Oh, you thought I was really asleep? No, I was just doing that. <laughs> I was faking. <laughs>